Welcome to the AV Podcast Games Edition. Presented by Ian Collin. Hi, I'm Ian Collin from 360 Gamer Magazine, welcoming you to this week's gaming podcast. Along with Seth Gecko, we'll be bringing you the latest gaming news. We'll also be reviewing Virtua Tennis 3 on the Xbox 360 and World of Warcraft's Burning Crusade expansion pack on the PC. And we'll also be taking a nostalgic look back at retro gaming from the 8-bit era and taking a look at just how well those games apply themselves to the modern market. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Okay, first up then. Sony has confirmed that it's going to effectively be scrapping the 20 gig PS3 model in North America, which subsequently makes it extremely unlikely that we'll be getting it at all over here in Europe. At the moment, Europeans can only get the 60 gig version of it, so if you're one of those maybe holding out for a cheaper option, then chances are you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. According to Sony, the decision to cease production of the 20 gig PS3 is due to the overwhelming demand for the 60 gig model, which uh, is apparently making up 90% of the sales of the PS3s uh, in the States at the moment. So in fairness, it probably sounds like decent financial sense from Sony to focus its efforts on the, the 60 gig model. So unless there's some massive surge of demand or enthusiasm coming from the European market for the 20 gig drive, we reckon it's unlikely it's going to be heading our way at all. So at the moment, going to be stuck with a 60 gig PS3 if that's what you're waiting for. But then as a footnote to that, just a side story that's popped up as well over the past week or so, is that um, a Sony spokesperson, and I'm quoting here, has apparently confirmed that the company is considering, that's considering, not bringing out, but they're considering bringing out a new PS3 with a larger hard drive. Not entirely unlike what Microsoft are currently doing with the 360 Elite that they're bringing out um, later on in the year. This comment comes just a few weeks after Sony filed an FCC application that refers to an 80 gig PS3, but we're going to have to wait and see whether that's the figure that Sony are working towards sometime in the future. But for now, possibly an 80 gig, but it doesn't look like we're going to be getting a 20 gig PS3, unfortunately. It's kind of stupid, really, considering you can actually update your PS3 with a hard drive anyway, just whacking um, whatever 2.5 inch SATA hard disk you want. Um, it actually tells you in the manual there's loads of documentation, so you might as well just go and buy, you know, 200 gig for what, saying like 60, 70 quid, and upgrade yourself. Be done with it. Bound yeah. to be cheaper. Says <laughs> <laughs> the cynic in me. Yeah, there are many ways. I'm not sure how comfortable I'd be ripping open a PS3 though. Well, not uh, ripping it, it open, but just... it's it's got a, it, you don't even have to. It's just got a slight panel on the, one of the sides. Uh, it's really easy to do, and it doesn't invalidate your warranty. It's one of the things they were um, sort of touting that you could do it yourself. You know, even the official PlayStation 3 magazine showed you how to do it. So if you want an 80 gig hard drive, you can go and buy one, you can or you one. can just be done with it and go and get 200 gig or something and modify your own 60 gig, which is probably cheaper in the long run. And then subsequently you can avoid any kind of hyper-nonsense about future upgrades coming up over the next year or so that are inevitable with a, yeah, oh yeah, skip. well you do a 120 gig hard drive, we'll do a 140 gig hard drive then. Kids yeah. in Playground, yeah. all that, Microsoft and Sony. <laughs> Mine's bigger than yours. There's no proof of that, Ian, and you know it. <laughs> Moving on. Good <laughs> job, this isn't video. <laughs> um, in so many ways. Just going for an Xbox 360 thing, um, if you're a WWE fan, and there's one or two people in the country that apparently are, on the 23rd of April there's going to be an event um, because the WWE are in town. They're, they're going to be in Earl's Court. But just before they actually record the Monday Night Raw program, 
two of the wrestlers, uh, Johnny Nitro and Shelton Benjamin, will be taking on gamers um, on WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 via Xbox Live for 360 owners, basically. Now, if you want to get involved, it's quite simple. All you have to do is email the following information to wwewrestlers at gamewithfame.net. Uh, they want to know your name, your age, your nationality, and your gamer tag. The event will be taking place, they say, between uh, 1 and 3 in the afternoon, uh, Greenwich Mean Time. So, if you fancy going up against one of those wrestlers, you know, send them an email. Maybe you'll be picked, you know, to do it. And you can also, I assume, chat with them on the uh, headset as they mock you with their taunts and finish you off with their signature moves. <laughs> Apparently, there's also going to be other people involved um, with various sessions, including the Scissor Sisters of Kasabian. But if I knew who they they were, I'd mention it. I have no idea who they are. Well, all um, I know, Scissor Sisters. I'm sure they'd be up for men in tight fitting lycra, rolling around in a ring, or some kind of innuendo like that. Uh, in my best Shaun of the Dead voice, gay. <laughs> <laughs> it should look good. They've got a new WWE game coming out as well, so I'm sure they'll tout that around for a little that's bit. It. That's well, it, 2008. Imaginative. They took a leaf out of Electronic Arts book there, didn't they? Yeah, sat down around a meeting board for, or around a meeting table for about two, three weeks on the company yeah. credit card in a hotel somewhere, just getting lashed, going, hey, let's call it 2008. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> like their style. Okay, well, again, just moving on nicely in a way that we're linking stories together so well. Um, in terms of another unoriginal name, um, GTA 4. Just following on from the, the trailer that we saw a couple of weeks ago, the first trailer, um, new details gradually starting to emerge um, about this latest in the GTA franchise. More details have emerged following a preview in a US magazine called Game Informer which um, gives a lot more specific details than just the various little snippets and assumptions that were made from the trailer. Now, the magazine um, has given the lead character the name of Nico Belic, who's believed to be Croatian or Serbian, if, judging by the accent from the trailer, who says he is, I'm not going to do the accent, I did think about doing it, but I'm not going to. But he says that he's killed people, smuggled people, and sold people, before heading to the States, rather, in search of the inevitable American dream. So you're already kind of, you've got a back history to this character, which obviously we're going to find out a lot more about over the coming months. Apparently he was sent over to America by his cousin with the promise of a life of luxury and all things like that, but obviously it's a GTA game so things aren't going to turn out quite that smoothly. It starts off, your cousin in the game is your only contact to begin with, um, but rather than just being offered deals and various missions by people in and around the game as you move about, you get equipped with a mobile phone this time, so you can actually make calls yourself when you get the numbers and then try and set up your own little missions and sort of uh, scams and deals, which I'm guessing are going to be fairly scripted anyway but at least you're going to have a bit more freedom to come up with things off the top of your head and try a few things rather than having to go to place B, pick up mission and so on and so forth. In terms of location as well, um, we already knew that the game was going to be taking place in Liberty City or New York as we'd like to call it, if it didn't upset the mayor of New York too much. It just, side note, slight digression, um, it's a bit upset by linking the city to the video game, um, comparing it to setting Halo in Disneyland, I think were his words, which is probably a little bit harsh, I'd quite like to see Halo in Disneyland. But anyway, the main New York boroughs of Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, Manhattan and parts of New Jersey as well are being recreated within the game, albeit with subtly different names, which means that it's probably not going to be as large as San Andreas and you're not going to be able to fly around in planes, which is a little bit of a disappointment because I thought that was quite funky. But judging by the trailer and the initial reactions, it is going to look superb. 
Um, and in addition to this as well, it should also have multiplayer content, although details on that uh, have yet to be announced, confirmed, or dismissed as anything more than rumour at the moment. Rockstar are notoriously tight on giving away any kind of details, so we're going to have to wait and see what happens in terms of multiplayer content. But facts are coming through, and I'm sure that more facts will continue to filter through over the coming months, and we'll endeavour to keep you all posted. Uh, I have to say, Ian, I'm not a big fan of those particular games, which probably will get me slightly more hate mail than usual. Um... <laughs> I just find them really boring and tedious, to be honest. Um, but, you know, each to their own, they've sold well. Um, yeah, no, I know what you mean. They are, they, I mean, even though they're supposed to be open-ended, they, are, they still can be fairly restrictive at times, and it is, can be a lot of just sort of running around going, what am I doing now? But then the fact that you can run around and do whatever you like, and hopefully um, this way the fact that you can maybe arrange a few of the missions a bit more yourself and you might have a little bit more control will hopefully just loosen things up so that you've still got the freedom but then you know there's still maybe a more natural progression or faster progression within the game i hope but all that stuff probably months away yet we'll have to wait and see indeed anyway moving on slightly and we're going off on a huge tangent uh, nvidia the alleged worldwide leader in programmable graphics processor technologies <coughs> have announced <laughs> Yes, well done, I know. PR I speak. Know. Good I know, I love PR speak, that's why I included it. They have announced three new graphics cards. Well, when I say new, it's basically scaled down ones of what they've already brought out before. We're going to get an NVIDIA GeForce 8600 GTS, an 8600 GT, and an 8500 GT. So they're basically bringing out a load of DirectX 10 cards that are even more scaled down than, say, the 8800 uh, GTS that's come out a couple of months ago. So I would imagine you're going to be looking at sort of the, the entry-level price point of you know, 80, 90, 100, 110 pounds for those ones. The idea is to try and get, obviously, DirectX 10 cards out to the masses, push Windows Vista, and, you know, uh, as they've put it, it has stellar HD DVD and Blu-ray video playback. Of course, we all know that it costs about 300 to 400 pounds one of the drives to put in your PC, but that's not stopping them <laughs> touting it. Anyway, not bad prices, though. Not, but uh, well, like I say, I would imagine that they're going to be that kind of pricing, and I can't think why not. But basically, if you've been holding back because of the price, you know, the price tag on a. 8800 GTS is around about 179, I think, with you know, including VAT and a bit of postage. You know, if, you, if you're going down to about 110 and you're more um, looking at, you know, sort of home theater PCs and being cheap, you know, these are going to be the cards that are going to suit you. Well, yeah, they should still do a job unless you want to go real high end. You know, these these should do a, a fair job, I'm sure. Yeah, and the, and you know, to be honest, the you know, the release date is not that far away. Um, May the 1st. Okay. The one thing that's going to be interesting is ATI have, have still not brought out a DirectX 10 card. We're still waiting for it, so that's going to be the big news. And you never know, the day that uh, these cards could come out, it could be the ATI announcement of their new ones. Who knows? We can only hope. I mean, so you're assuming they'll bring out something, but we just don't know what <laughs> ATI or, how definitely, or how good. Yeah, ATI definitely bringing something out. Um, it's just the when. Um, and we're just waiting for the formal announcement. Another one to wait and see. Indeed. Okay, I've got um, just a little bit of a fun one, really, just uh, to round off my end with. It's just a bit of Daily Mail nonsense that um, we know and love, um, and just a little bit of information that we can neatly contrive so it sounds as if the game-hating piece of tat would rather see kids falling out of trees than playing video games. Really, honest. In a report in the newspaper, I can't remember specifically what day it was, but it suggests that children are more likely to be injured playing video games rather than, and I'm quoting, tumbling out of the apple tree at the bottom of the garden 
making it sound all nice and quaint, like it's a jolly old thing that we all used to do and have laughs over. Apparently, injuries sustained falling out of trees is down 36% in the past seven years, with biking accidents down 22%. Doesn't say whether that's because kids aren't stupid enough to climb trees and fall off bikes anymore, but according to the Daily Mail, this is obviously the fault of video games because there's a massive 577 cases of RSI occurring amongst kids in these years, which is a staggering rise of 35%. Really? Sorry. I, Sorry. I mean, do the maths. It's just, it's shocking. Kids... <laughs> kids with RSI. I'm just thinking perhaps it's because they're playing status quo tracks on Guitar Hero 2. Yes, definitely. That would be why. Nothing else. There's no other reason why kids would have sore arms at a young tender age. But yeah, obviously they'd rather be sitting at home playing games and going out falling out of trees. And, you know, we'd like to advise all kids out there who may be listening that it's definitely not big and not clever to fall out of trees. And video games will obviously rot your mind and make you descend into hell. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's it. Remember, you could end up as depraved as Ian. Oh, yes. Even worse, you could end up working on the Daily Mail. Jeez. Imagine that. Allegedly. Yes, apparently. No, all the people there are lovely people. They're just oh, no. I'm not going into a Daily Mail slave situation. It's just, oh, they just hate everything to do with video games. So it's just nice that they can come up with something utterly ridiculous and just try to link it to video games as being the cause of all evil. Okay, so fortunately we're going to have to go and take a look at the UK charts, see all the latest movers and shakers, the best-selling games of the week, and they are. Well, at number ten we have The Sims 2, Pets, Booties. still there, still there, still hanging still on, not dead. <laughs> Oh, indeed. Uh, number nine, Medal of Honor Vanguard. More the cool. same, shoot em up, shoot Nazis, shoot Nazis, shoot Nazis. Oh, I'm dead. That's pretty <laughs> much how bad. I play it. It's not bad, though. No, true. Eight, Virtual Tennis 3. Boring. Fantastic. Uh, each their own. Seven, Guitar Hero 2. You two can look a complete prat in front of your TV. That is absolutely biblical. <laughs> but you still look like a prat. Six, UEFA Champions League. What is it with football games? I don't know. It's just, well, it's FIFA, isn't it? So they've just taken FIFA out of the charts and put Champions League in there and hope that no one will notice. Indeed. Uh, number five, Brian Lara International Cricket. It's a decent game. I'm not saying a word. Uh, four, Command & Conquer 3, Tiberian Wars. No surprise there. Wars number one, still doing well. Yeah, true. Three, Tiger Woods PGA 2007. Obviously the US Masters, I'm guessing, has had some kind of impact on getting that one back up into yeah. the charts. And proof that you can flog a dead horse. Uh, <laughs> Two Pokemon Ranger. I'm yeah. just in shock on that one. Uh, number one, how on earth? Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heroes in a half shell, man. They're awesome. It's it, it's really not as bad as you you might think. Oh, I, I think it's pretty bad, but there you go. I quite liked it. Um, and also, life. well, from an Xbox 360 perspective, it is some of the the easiest thousand gamer points you could possibly haul from a game. Even Only... easier than King Kong. Um, it'll probably take you about an hour or so longer than King Kong. That's about the complexity Ooh, of it. A whole Fetus hour. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah, People anyway. pay money for gamer points now. A whole hour to get an extra few hundred. Easy. It's cheap at twice the price. Uh, moving on from what we think of gamer points, that's the charts, I'm afraid. Pretty, pretty sorry state of affairs, I have to say. Okay, and um, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles finishing things off nicely, that's the gaming news for this week. <laughs> This is the AV Podcast. Okay, so my review for this week is Virtua Tennis 3. I've been playing on the Xbox 360, but it's also out on the PS3, PC, and PSP in a um, slightly scaled-down version. 
for those of you who are aware of the, the Virtua Tennis franchise, then it's uh, it'll be apparent from the start that this is more of a fun arcade tennis game than any kind of attempt to be a genuine simulation. It's pretty over-the-top stuff, you know, Top Spin 2 played it a little bit straighter, whereas Virtual Tennis 3 sort of stretches the boundaries a little bit further, goes, you know, borders on ridiculous, but still maintains the, the tennis feel. Just some of the basic details out of the way, it does contain some of the, the leading tennis players in the world right now, so it's got like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Tim Hedman. <laughs> And some of the top female players as well, Maria Sharapova, Venus Williams, Amelie Moresmo, and all those. So there's a lot of big names in there. Not a lot, has to be said. I'm not sure the figure off from my head. I think it's about 16 of each. And the unfortunate thing is, is that these are repeated throughout the game, which is one of the only slightly disappointing things, is that uh, when you play in the career mode, you start off at 300th in the world. And obviously the goal is to work your way through to number one. But it's just the same players you're playing all the time throughout the game. So you could be playing Roger Federer, in, a, in your first tournament, give him an absolute hiding, and you think you're the best tennis player ever. Then you play him in a tournament about two hours later, and you get your ass kicked. So then, moving on into the game itself, as I say, it's quite an arcade-based game, which does stretch the gameplay, not to the, to the unbelievable, but it just exaggerates the action itself, in that the key element is that it's pretty easy to get the ball back over the net. All you have to do is just hit a button, and your player, he'll, they'll dive, they'll slide, they can hit pretty much most returns back as long as they're not clear-cut winners so you can have these massive massive rallies that go on for a long while simply because the the AI characters as well are equally as good at getting the ball back so there's only like a few ways that you can actually hit clear winners from the baseline um, and then even going up to the net um, they're still quite sharp at getting uh, your volleys back over the net as well I mean the, the characters all have their different key attributes but Nadal for one is just it's a monster when it comes to returning the ball so you can have some really really long rallies which I don't know it can be a little bit annoying at times especially if you're playing like a weaker opponent who you know you can beat and you just want to get it out of the way because you want to win the tournament bump up your stats so you can work your way up through the world rankings um, but some of these matches can take some time even though they are just played over a few games each but then when it comes to building up your character this is something which I think uh, works well in Virtua Tennis 3 is that um, you have your standard attributes um, which are built up along the way as you go, you know, playing games will boost your skills a little bit, but you also have a, a whole stack of mini games within Virtua Tennis 3. Now, mini games such as this are usually just used as a diversion, you know, something else to play if you want to get away from the main game. But in Virtua Tennis 3, they've actually integrated them into the game so that um, as part of the, the tour, the world tour, you've got a calendar which obviously split into weeks. Um, and you have tournaments within that. Um, but in the gaps in between, you can enter these mini-games, choose as many of the mini-games you like, and um, they'll boost your stats, they'll enhance your performance by playing them and succeeding with them. So even though the mini-games are a fun diversion, you're actually feeling the benefits of them within the main game itself. And you know, these mini-games, they are good fun, they're borderline ridiculous. You know, you've got one where you're standing at the bottom of a, of a mountain, a giant tennis ball rolling down and small little fruits, and you've got to avoid the tennis ball and catch the fruits, which improves your footwork. Um, you can practice your serving by playing 10-pin bowling using your serve. You can practice your volleys by hitting alligators away who are trying to eat lumps of meat. It's quite bizarre, but they're really, really good fun. And the fact that they actually are used in an intelligent way as well, so you get the benefits from them, makes them even better in my book. Multiplayer as well is another good aspect of Virtual Tennis 3. It allows for four players playing on one machine. Not that many 360 owners will have four pads, but uh, if you do or you have a couple of people come around, then you could play doubles um, from one 
360. You don't have to go online to play it, but obviously there's going to be quite a big online community out there. There's a lot of people who I've seen who, you know, aren't of a particularly good standard, so you don't have to worry about going online and getting your butt handed to you on a plate on a regular basis because, uh, as I mentioned, the, the rallies, it's quite easy to get the ball back. With a little bit of luck, you can get a few good results and, you know, you can still have a lot of fun with it. In terms of getting to be number one in the world, it can be quite difficult. It starts off really easy um, and it's easy to win games and there are little sudden spurts like when you hit the top 200 it'll suddenly get more difficult when you hit the top 100 it'll suddenly get more difficult for a little while and then when you hit the top 52 and you can start playing in the major tournaments um, you will probably get your ass kicked a few times early on until your stats build up uh, accordingly and then you'll be able to kick some back and uh, hopefully go on to be world number one to summarize then I I think virtual tennis 3 is a is a superb tennis game as I mentioned it heads towards arcade a little bit more than simulation but there is still a fine balance there in that you can still get the tennis feel of it you know hitting the winners does feel good you can hit the passing shots at times drop shots and lobs a little less likely but there's still a good tennis feel to it but all the time as well still being good good fun and obviously little mini games as well gives a little replay value a little bit of an addictive touch to it as well which just it means that if you're into the tennis game if you're into that whole arcade virtual tennis feel then you could be playing this for a very very long time indeed I am gonna be slightly bold and score it a nine even though I know a lot of people might disagree particularly those maybe who you know aren't into this kind of game but if you are then it's a very good nine it's the best virtual tennis game as yet so hopefully there'll be a virtual tennis four which is even better but we'll have to wait and see virtual tennis three nine out of ten Although it's a bit late, I'm reviewing World of Warcraft The Burning Crusade. Now, I know this has been out since the mid-January mark, however, I've never been a big fan of World of Warcraft. Um, I played it for the, the sort of the trial month and gave up on it, and I think the main reason I didn't like it is I picked a warrior to play with and just didn't get on with it. So, basically, the, this review has been in the making since um, January the 19th, where I've had to literally level 58 levels in Warcraft to actually be able to go across and play the expansion. Now, the main thing with the expansion is it's not quite as large in some ways as the original game, whereas the original game is spanned across sort of two um, continents, as, as it were, and brought, uh, broken up into small areas. Um, Outland, which is the expansion, is broken up into seven main areas. When you first go through the Dark Portal, you end up in what's called the Hellfire Peninsula, um, which is a very bleak um, sort of blasted land um, and you automatically will find that it's quite challenging um, I went across when I was level 58 a lot of people went across when they were 60 um, and the biggest thing that people are going to notice is the huge amount of grinding that you're going to have to do to gain levels um, the good news is is XP is a lot easier to come by in the expansion you get a lot more uh, experience for killing monsters um, most of the quests reward you with around 10,000 XP as well um, the drops are also incredibly good. Uh, a lot of people have probably had a load of epic items or certainly superior items from Azeroth. Um, but as soon as you start playing in Outland, you're going to find yourself ditching all of the stuff that you've probably you know, worked hard for or have gone to an auction house and bought because the drops um, and the spec of these drops are absolutely superb. Now, the main reason that they're absolutely superb is because this, this is very, very challenging. For example, when you start walking around Hellfire, you will probably accidentally come across um, one of the Fell Reavers, which is a level 70 elite that has a tendency of squashing you because it is a huge, huge giant. And we're not talking giant as in 
you know, the giants of Azeroth, we're talking much larger, and they really hurt when they hit you. And again, like I say, there's seven main areas. Once you finish with Hellfire Peninsula, you'll go to what is arguably graphically the, the most impressive part, which is Zangamarsh. This particular area is full of mushrooms. Um, the whole city is sort of literally total central. Um, there are lots of quests here. The quests are hugely chained. Um, each area has multiple instances. Um, for example, the first one, Hellfire Peninsula, has sort of uh, two to three instances that I've already come across. The missions themselves in the instances are particularly small, but you're going against um, mobs of 5 or 6 uh, level 63 elites, for example. You will find that, um, you know, a five-man team, it's still uh, a huge challenge. I have to be you know, honest, luckily I went with some guild members and we had uh, a mix of sort of level 60 to level 65s uh, in the group, and uh, we managed to succeed with sort of minor, minor deaths along the way. You know, the, the big thing for this particular expansion, for people that are, you know, World of Warcraft veterans, is challenging. It is very challenging. Again, once you start getting towards level 70, um, you'll find that you're going to have to go and buy the Flying Mount, which is another major change in this particular module. Um, in Azeroth, you have the um, standard two mounts that you could purchase, um, the one that made you travel around about 50% faster than, than walking, and then you have the epic mount which you could get at level 60 um, for a hell of a lot of money, which enabled you to run at about 100% faster than it would to, to walk, which is brilliant for travelling. However, in this particular game, when you hit level 70, you can actually get one of these flying mounts, which is a must-have. Now, I will be honest, I haven't got to level 70 yet, I'm still stuck at level 63, even though I've been in this particular um, environment for the last week and a half, two weeks. The reason it's taken me so long is the amount of XP that you requ are required to use to level. Um, as you may be aware, that when you went from level 59 to level 60, you had to earn 209,000 experience points. And this was going up exponentially as we were going through le from level 1 up. Um, but as soon as you hit level 60, it all went wrong. Instead of it going up around about 7,000, which is what it had been doing beforehand, you went from 209,000 to 494,000. Now, like I said, the XP does get a lot better along the way on this, but it's still a tough grind. And as I said, I've been playing uh, for the last sort of 10 days and I'm level 63. To get to level 64, I have to earn 650,000 experience. It's a lot of grinding, but there are a lot of quests. And as long as you team up for a lot of the uh, group and raid instance quests, you're going to walk it easily. Um, but it, it is a, a huge challenge. And I've only managed to get to three out of the seven lands. Now... As I said originally, I wasn't a particularly big fan of World of Warcraft, um, and I basically had a warrior originally, and I basically said, oh, I can't get on with this, oh, it's a horrible game. Um, I found out that actually I prefer magic-based characters, um, they sit better with me in terms of flexibility. Um, I actually decided to go for a mage this time, and I've actually kind of got much more of an appreciation for World of Warcraft, which will please certain members of the forum, no names, but Garrett springs to mind, um, 
because I actually quite like World of Warcraft, and I can understand why it's nicknamed Warcrack, um, because it is quite addictive, and I think that's mostly to do with the you know, necessity for leveling, and you want more uh, uh, spells, more armor, and uh, so forth. Now, the other thing that is important with this particular add-on pack is it gives you two new races, uh, the Draenei and the Blood Elves. Now, although it's an excuse to have better looking characters, um, the Blood Elves just do not look right with the Horde because they're actually quite sexy looking uh, and everyone else in the Horde is quite ugly gits. Um, the main reason that they exist is to open up the class is that the um, factions couldn't actually um, have access to. Um, for example, the Horde couldn't have Paladins um, and the Alliance couldn't have, I think it was Druids. Now because of these two new races you can actually have those classes. Personally I don't think that the uh, extra races bring a huge amount to the game. You could have quite easily um, argued that uh, Blizzard could have just introduced the characters, um, the, the, sorry, the, the professions to existing uh, races in the game. But I'm sure you know, it just gives a, a bit of experienced Warcraft players to you know, create new characters. They can pick one of the new races and have a completely different look, etc. Um, but Mainly, the main thing with this particular expansion is it's been very well thought out. I mean, it has taken two years to actually get going from you know when uh, Warcraft was actually released. Um, there are a lot of instances and a lot of things to do, and the game, like the original, doesn't end when you get to the maximum level. There is still a lot to discover and a lot of challenges ahead. Um, if you don't like Warcraft, nothing's going to change that. Um, I will say that you may find that if you try a different character class, then you may find that you fare better with it. Like I said, I got on better with a magic caster, um, being a Guild Wars veteran. Um, I was a necromancer in that, which was magic based. Um, the up close combat just doesn't work for me, um, which is why I personally didn't like Warcraft the first time round. However, you know, if you change the character class, you may find it works better. Um, a lot of people are going to find a few flaws in it. You know, the hard grind, it's not quite as big as Azeroth. Um, but I think overall, when you start getting into the, the, the large instances and start reaping the, award, uh, the rewards from the epic armors that you can uh, pick up along the way, and again, you know, you need 5,000 gold to get your epic flying mount, you know, there's a lot of scope there for uh, enjoyment. I just hope that the uh, next expansion pack doesn't take two years to come out. Um, as such, graphically, pretty much more of the same. There is some impressive touches, like I say, everyone likes Zangamarsh. The biggest wow factor, I have to be honest, is the moment you walk through the uh, the dark portal, because it's absolutely huge on the other side, and then you start seeing all these rather large fell reavers and monsters um, around the lands. Um, it's very nice on that kind of thing, but not too demanding on the graphics card. Um, sound is again pretty much the same although I will say the music really does get tiring after a while but I found that true of the original Warcraft. Um, overall if you're a Warcraft fan you're gonna love this and lap it up a solid 9 out of 10. This is the AV Podcast, this week's roundtable discussion. Okay, moving on to this week's roundtable discussion. This comes in the light of a few recent releases that we've seen coming up with a, a retro kick to them such as Jetpack uh, refueled coming on to Xbox 360 Live Arcade, we've also uh, the Retro Games and Possible Mission, whatever, coming up on the DS, PSP and the Wii and so on and the, so forth. So we sort of have a, a bit of a look back to the glorious 8-bit era and maybe have a think about one or two of the games that we'd like to see coming up next. Seth, I mean, this is something which I know you're probably a little bit, maybe a little bit keen on. What's your thinking when you first look at all this, all these retro games coming through? Um... 
I don't know, really. I, 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 the games that they've chosen, sort of that we just mentioned there, Jetpack and uh, Impossible Mission, do make me go, ooh, a lot in kind of the Toy Story Aliens type way. Is that um, a good way or a bad way? In a very good way. I loved um, Impossible Mission uh, on the old Commodore 64 by Epix. I thought it was a superb game. Um, I, re- I remember playing that for absolutely months trying to crack the bloody thing. Um, failing miserably, kind of going, oh, bollocks, I can't do it. Um, and then coming back to it about 18 months later, and um, first go, just went, done it, and it's like such a satisfying thing to do. You know, it was just one of those games that was just immensely um, satisfying to, to, to complete because of the title, I think. Still get that kick out of it now, though, do you think? Um, I hope so. I'm not quite sure what format I'd have it on, to be honest. Um, the Wii holds some attraction. Um, or the DS, to be absolutely honest. Um, I'm not quite sure if I'd, I... I don't use the PSP um, a huge amount. I've got, <laughs> I've got two PSPs, and I very, very rarely use them nowadays. Um... But yeah, I'd probably probably the DS for 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 commuting and um, yeah, the Wii for home. And are you happy that they they keep it in the retro style, or would you like to see see it upgraded? Because that's starting to happen a little bit more, like with Jetpack Refuel, mm. where they brought out two versions of it, where they kept the original Jetpack version, then they yeah. glammed it up, and brought out an all new version based on the same game. Well, that is what they're doing with the Impossible Mission ones. They're doing, you know, the traditional ones, so it looks sort of uh, 8-bit, 64 graphics and a bit hokey. Uh, Although, to be fair, it was a damn fine-looking game on the 64, you know, limitations aside. Um, But they are doing a kind of a glammed-up graphics update, um, and they're doing a kind of an original sort of variant as well. So you can either play the original game with the original type graphics, original game with the souped-up graphics, or this kind of, you know, sort of, continuation new spin on it um, with obviously the souped up graphics as well so you know I'll probably go back and play the souped up graphic version um, more than anything else but I'll just I'll just be happy to play it it's just such a a great you know game really yeah and and Jetpack was a classic as well I mean you know uh, who can who can forget I mean it was sort of everyone had it on the spectrum didn't they yeah um, but they, I, I'm trying to remember if it, I, I think I played it on the Vic 20. Funnily enough, with an oh, 8 gig, with an 8k RAM expansion. Um, <laughs> it's huge in those days. That's it, 8k. Clark, you lad, that's not a memory. Um, uh, you tell the kids these days, and they they won't believe you. Um, it, it was just, it was just great, you know. It was a simplistic game, you know. Shoot everything, a la Defender, because it had this Defender yeah. vibe going on about it. If you think about it, pick up the bits of your rocket. You know, drop it over, enter the rocket, off into space, and then do it all over again and again and again and again and again and again. But do you think it's the it's this kind of simplicity there which makes it so appealing uh, at the moment? Because you know, a lot of games going to, you know, just give us these huge backstories, histories for a game that's possibly not needed. Whereas you got these games to point and shoot. It's all you have to do. Um, it's a tough one. I, I mean, if you're if you're sort of my age, which is you know, sort of when you hang around with Tutankhamun, sort of just <laughs> kicking back. Um. You know, you, you've got this nostalgic thing, and it's just really nice to see some of the games that you grew up with, you know, with a, 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 an enhanced look, a new vibe, some new sounds. But fundamentally, it's the same game. Um, for people probably who are like yourself, who are a tad younger um, than myself, I, I, I said a tad younger. Um, 
a tad is an immeasurable number. You know, you know, you're not going to get the same kind of sort of you know nostalgic retro you know fueled vibe. I mean, for you, a nostalgic trip might be something that was on the Amiga. Um, for me, it's the old classic yeah. 8-bit stuff, you know. Uh, and for other people out there, they're they're just longing to get a Binatone console again. <laughs> or not. Way back. I had one of those, but we won't go into that. Um, oh, a brilliant light gun on square on screen. Yeah, it was. Just, it's just you know really nice to reminisce, and it's nice that they're going back and taking some of these you know absolutely cool games. That, you know, I mean, they were classics. Yeah. You know, so I mean, they they were sort of the game. I mean, you've got to remember, Jetpack was rare. Ultimate play the game. Yeah. You know, and we all know Rare has sort of brought out some interesting games recently. Uh, you know, Project Zero, um, everyone hated, and Cameo, everyone loved. So, yeah, I mean, Rare is big name publisher, so it's it's always impressive That's when something like that goes in. You know, not just bringing out a an old copy of a game that they published many years ago, but actually. You know, making effort, putting aside a development team to actually work on it and bring out something a little bit new. That's it. Like I say, I mean, you know, for those who don't remember or don't know, Rare before they were Rare were Ultimate Play the Game, and that name was synonymous with, you know, absolutely cracking Spectrum games. Yeah. You know, they did remember... bring out a few on the 64 and stuff, but it was the Spectrum was their their thing. You know, yeah. Then Ocean. I remember Ocean as well. They brought out some classics. Yeah. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Every time you pick something up, oh, it was just yeah, great. But you know, I'd love to see things like Beachhead too. You know, oh, that was superb. I mean, Beachhead was great, but Beachhead too was much better when you had the you know you were lobbing the grenades over the walls stuff. That'd be really good for an update, I think. Just yeah, thinking I mean, about it. Well, yeah, there's a few of those that could could sort of come through. Kind of hoping for anyway. Um, you know, like. Uh, Commando, that kind of thing. Cannon fodder. I'm always wondering why that hasn't come through yet. Well, Even though it's know, not quite the same. Well, cannon fodder, I can understand. You've got to remember, Commando it was just, you know, it was, um, oh, it was an Elite game. Remember Elite, the games company, who oh, brought out yeah. Airwolf. They were, they, Elite were the game company that brought out all the licensed stuff. So Commando was like the old Capcom arcade game. Yeah. And they brought out uh, Airwolf, um, based on the TV series, which was really, it was sort of a really dodgy game, but it was quite cool. Um, yeah. You know. So some of these, you know, companies that we're mentioning here, you know, like Ultimate and Ocean, um, you know, they were fundamentally, you know, sort of the equivalent of Electronic Arts. Now, you know, they were the major players, and you don't hear anything of them anymore. So it's, that's kind of a shame. But yeah, I mean, uh, another game that would be really cool to see: School Days. Oh gosh, oh, I'd forgotten all about that one. <laughs> something about oh I, I can't remember my school days very much. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's the thing with retro gaming is that some, you just hear a name like that and all of a sudden it's like oh gosh yeah I remember that. Yeah, I'm not so much thinking oh Horace goes skiing because let's be honest though, you know that sucked no matter what you want to dress it up as. But yeah, but you know for me games like School Days would be brilliant. You know if they sort of really dragged it up. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean if uh, what was the one by Rockstar? That was the sort of bully, but wasn't called bully in the end. Canis Canada met it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, to a degree, you know, that that basically stole a lot from school days, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, a lot of these games, basic as they were, you know, there's the ideas are there, so they're bound to be nicked and developed by modern day developers. Um, but just because, I mean, it's the core, I mean, the gameplay is what's most important, you know, in terms of what you're you're actually doing. You know, all the glitz and glamour that goes around it is 
you know, it's garnish basically. So, you know, these games, they just, they had it nailed. So it's always great to see them coming back. I mean, obviously, they're going to be scaled down versions of, um, you know, compared to a lot of the other games coming through, but it's still a massive market for it. Mm, I think there's some really, you know, there are some really cool games, and I, really, I have to be honest, I don't care if we saw them come out on the Wii or Xbox 360 Marketplace or even PS3's, um, you know, um, sort of network thing. I mean, I, I, I downloaded, um, I, I was tempted to go for Tekken, yeah, um, but I don't like Tekken. I, I prefer Virtua Fighter, so yeah. it it kind of put me off. You know, it's like, oh, this is Tekken Five in high def, but yeah, but Virtua Fighter Five just rocks. You know, I don't really want to go and download that, but they had that other game called Flow, and that was kind of reminded me by you know, sort of in a, a weird way, sort of like Rares and Ico, sort of sort of the beautiful, peaceful kind of game. You know, that's yeah. relaxing. Um, but we sort of we digress. I'd love to see sort of you know some retro, really cool retro stuff, um, upgraded, you know, with like the Impossible Mission with like a, a bit of a spin on it. Um, yeah. So you've got the classic thing if you want the classic, and then you've got the sort of the new one for um, you know other people to you know sort of get involved with. I just think it would be really kind of cool. I definitely. I just want Jet Set Willy as well. It'd be second on my list. See, I, I was never a huge fan of Manic Mine and Jet Set Willy. Um, oh, I love it. I think it. I think a lot of people re- sort of remember. Um, again, it's with a nostalgic, you know, bent and a kind of you know um, a good memory as such. Yeah. But I was never a huge, huge fan um, of those particular ones. Um, I, th- I think but, Jet Set Willy was the first game that really. I mean, it wasn't complex. It wasn't difficult. It was just big. Yeah, what most games rooms. were at the I mean, time. It was, like, was, it, it was 80 rooms or something like that. It was like, yeah, 80 rooms? Damn! <laughs> and then you have to go down to go up and do all this crazy stuff. And it was, I mean, you know, it was annoying. I can't understand why some people didn't like it, because it was a lot of work. But you're thinking, you know, that kind of scenario lends itself really well to, to modern gaming, where if something doesn't have 80 rooms, like, oh, it's tiny, it's rubbish, what kind of adventure game is that? Yeah, I mean, it, it it is this kind of thing where, you know, is less more or is more less or whatever. I mean, the classic example, cause can you remember, like, Ridge Racer? Yeah. Um, when Ridge Racer came out, uh, um, it, it had, you know, sort of, I don't know, 30 tracks or something. Um, and then you've got to the point where it was Ridge Racer 6 on Xbox 360, and they're going, you know, there's 200 tracks, and you're going, wow. And then Motorstorm <laughs> comes out, and it goes, eight. <laughs> <laughs> we regressed again, you know. Yeah. Um, it, there, I don't know. There's a bit of an element of that to me, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I love the, the you know Beachhead Two. That'd be a cool one to see. Impossible Mission, one of my favourite ones. Last Ninja. <laughs> I, 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 I love throwing <laughs> these ones out, and you just going, wow, yeah, that rock. Well, see, that, that the nostalgia thing is a part of you where you remember the title, but you're not sure you can remember that much about the game. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I normally end up remembering pack shots rather than games. It's a bit tragic, really. I'm not sure how that happens. I mean, there was but... some good stuff that we used to play, if you think about it. Um, like I said, the one that I alluded to was Frankie Goes Hollywood. It was, yeah. a very, it was a very strange, bizarre game, I will say that. But it, want... was some, it was really, really well done. You know, it only sort of vaguely tied in with sort of the, sort of the band, but... Um... Yeah, it was a good. It was a good game. I don't know if they could get away with that now, because it's you know because of the nature of it. Yeah, it had been really cool. Yeah, now there's oh man, I, I, there's a list. I mean, a lot of the games obviously have had emulators that have been out in the past, so we've been able to relive some of these games to an extent. Um, you know, I've been playing what things like Bubble Bubble, um, Track and Field, Operation Wolf, things like that. 1942, just 
because they were there and it's like oh, i remember these these are great games and um you know you, you're kind of almost expecting some of these now to come through um and for people to to put them onto the various consoles you know be it on arcade or glam them up and put them um you know reinvent them on the ds the wii or whatever you just kind of it, it's always as if you know if enough people want them they the capacity is there for them to come through so where are they why aren't we getting them we just want more you see it, it i don't know it proof that it works everybody wants more arcade tiles mm. even as the kids say, that's the thing it's, 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 i mean everyone wants the old coin up conversions i mean how, how long is it going to be till we see things like afterburner again Oh, they they probably have to to come around at some point. I mean, because you know, Microsoft. I mean, I'm talking from a from an Xbox 360 arcade point of view, as the and I'm sure you know PS3 store is going to be the same as well. Is that you know they commit themselves to bringing out a certain amount of uh, arcade releases, um, you know, every month or whatever. So, you know, list of titles out there. It's not infinite. You know, <laughs> there's obviously a lot of them, but they're gonna it's gonna be a lot more games coming through. I, I think we're gonna see a lot more. I think that Jetpack's gonna and the Impossible Mission, which are the first two sort of um, non-arcade games that are from our, our past. Uh, you know, uh, are the are the tip of the iceberg. I think we're gonna see them revisit a load of things eventually, provided those particular titles go. I mean, we're not gonna see things like Pit Stop Two. It just wouldn't work now. We're not going to see pole position. It wouldn't work now. But we are going to see some of those really cool um, original games, you know, like the ones we've said, you know, like your school days, like your Underworld, like your Night... Um, night uh, I want to say Night Law. Um, Don't say Night Rider. No, not Night Rider. That was, <laughs> that was awful. Um, <laughs> Head Over Hills. Remember the isometric 3D games? Yeah. Um, you know, are we going to ever see, like, Marble Madness? Um, you know... I here. I couldn't handle Marble Madness with a controller. And then, and then let's go even, you know, um, one further than that. Can you? Uh, I mean, I remember on the 64 because it was a huge thing. Was the um, the Lucas Arts games? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are we going to see things like um, Eidolon, Rescue on Fractulous, uh, uh, it was Trailblazer? Um, was it Trailblazer? Bullblazer, Trailblazer was a different game. Um, you know, <laughs> my silence gonna... is, is a giveaway, isn't it? It's like, it uh, is. I'm not like, sure. <laughs> he, he, he might be right. I'm not. Sure. Yeah, that's I can't not correct. Remember. Um, it, it, it was Bullblazer because it was like you know um, uh, the air puck game that you play. Yeah. In the arcades, it yeah. was sort of like that on a big checkered kind of field, and you basically, you know chirped and ball back and forth. It's really cool, sort of weird sports game and stuff. But again, it was a LucasArts style. You know, things like that um, would be just absolutely awesome. You know, the fractal graphics and you know, I, I you know, for the the eight bit stuff, there's some really good gems. And I think it will be a case of it'll only be a matter of time um, before we see those. I hope so. You've seen them come through on mobile phones now. For yeah, there's a lot of mobile gaming so, stuff out there nowadays, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, that whole side of things getting better. And these games, because, you know, obviously it's going to be a bit of work involved in transforming them across onto a mobile phone, but they don't need to, to squash or condense it too much, do they? So the basis is there to get decent conversion to straight across to a mobile that you can download for a couple of quid. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not sure how comfortable I'd be playing, you know, Beecher 2 or something like that on a mobile phone. No, I don't. I can't really see that working. 
I don't know. It'd just be good to see some of these really old games. I hope Jetpack and Mission Impossible, uh, Impossible Mission, do really well. And I think that if they do, we're going to see some of these 8-bit titles, some of these um, classics from the Spectrum 64. Not so much the Amstrad because that came out much later. Yeah. Um, but I think we're going to see some of these classic titles come out and just sort of you know show how it's how it was done in the day and how a game doesn't have to be all flash you know it it can have substance and work really well definitely looking forward to some more i mean we've had a few good titles castlevania stuff like that has come out and that's sold well i'm hoping the jetpack um will will do well i think well i think there's already been quite a good uptake on it so um hoping that'll encourage Rare and maybe a few others to you know, dip into the the arcade market a little bit more. Maybe bring out some old games. Maybe even make up some new games based on the arcade style. Who knows? So yeah. I have to to keep looking out for that. But uh, me personally, sensible world of soccer. That's all I want. That's that's my my life's goal. If you'll excuse <laughs> the pun. It is due out soon. It was due out early this year, but then it's, I think it's prepared. It'll be summertime somewhere. As soon as that comes out, then my arcade collection will be complete. As far as I'm concerned. You'll be a happy man, will you? Absolutely. It's maybe a little bit after the 8-bit era, but it's still classic gaming at its finest. And I'll die a happy man when I've played that again. But um, until that day, we'd better call it quits there, go off and prep ourselves for another podcast for next week, playing some modern-day games, perhaps. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe we'll just review Jetpack and Impossible Mission instead. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. And with the retro love still warm in our hearts, that's it for this week's gaming podcast. We'll be emotional again, same time next week. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2M Limited.